This is a spoiler warning. We are going to spoil the episodes discussed in the show. It's also a free-flowing discussion. We're going to spoil pretty much most of the show aired to date. Uh, we'll do our best not to spoil any of the big finish range other than the episode that's discussed, but you are warned. Problem is, Perry, we are faced with a conundrum wrapped up in a dilemma. The Twin Dilemma, a Doctor Who fan podcast. Each week we take a look at two episodes of Doctor Who. One's a classic and one's a new Who. We battle them out and tell you which one's best. Those are the twins. That's the dilemma. I am your co-host, Fenric Lamar. And I am Edward Grove. This week, the theme is fan service, which means that we're actually going to look at some examples of when fans got to interact and create content for the show. And we'll kick it off this week with a classic mini-sode. Entitled, A Fix with Santarans. We have got to get Gareth back to Earth. It's not safe here. With two Santarans and a Vitrox bomb on board, that's not very sensible. At least not for the moment. In this bite-sized adventure, written by Eric Sayward, the Sixth Doctor finds himself in hot water as two Santarans have boarded the TARDIS, ready to detonate a bomb that can only mean certain doom. But his panicked hammering at the console brings a stranger to the TARDIS, who might just be his salvation. So... Edward, perhaps first we should kind of give kind of an introduction to this? I think that's probably appropriate, since I bet no one has any idea what this is. So this was a short created for a series called Jimmy'll Fix It. Jim'll Fix It. Jim'll Fix It. Yep, it was a BBC show hosted by the late Jimmy Seville, wherein children would write in, and it was basically like the Make-A-Wish Foundation, but without the whole dying cancer thing, mm-hmm. which is nice. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody wins. Everybody wins, and then doesn't die at the end. <laughs> Just this once, everybody lives. Except for Jimmy Seville, who's dead. Who's dead. Yeah. But also... Not so bad for certain reasons, allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to keep saying allegedly, even though I'm pretty sure you can't slander or libel dead people, And but he was not convicted ever. So there's... You can't actually say we he is probably, a pedophile. I was going to say, we should we just say... have to keep saying allegedly he's a pedophile. Sure. So I'm just going to say one big allegedly right now, and then I'm going to keep saying it later, that he's a pedophile, allegedly. Okay. But it sure seems like he's a pedophile, <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> but so Gareth Jenkins, an eight-year-old, uh, an English child, his grandmother had made him a sixth doctor costume, and he wrote into Jim will fix it. And all he asked for was to meet Colin Baker and then to, uh, to go into the TARDIS. And instead, they wrote a mini episode for him to star in. Which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty great to be Gareth Edwards. Not Gareth Edwards. (laughs) So I wrote Gareth Edwards a (laughs) hundred times in my notes and had to do a find replace to make it Gareth Jenkins. (laughs) (laughs) That name sounds bullshit. (laughs) It sounds a little bit made up. What's that kid hiding? Yeah, well, I mean, not that he was molested. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is gonna go. This is gonna go so dark. He was actually asked about that later, you know. Oh, really? Yeah, and he said that nothing happened. Oh, okay. Yeah, but part of why this whole thing ended up happening, why it wasn't just you know, have meet and greet with Con Baker and a walk on to the TARDIS or Con Baker walking onto the show, because Tom Baker had previously appeared on Jim will fix it very briefly in character, but at the time JNT had a policy that any sketches 
all had to be done fully in character. That policy led to the idea that they should make a little mini episode rather than just doing this appearance on the show. Which is probably better anyway. One thing that I think is particularly odd about the episode is the dynamic that Six and Tegan have. Why is Tegan there? Well, there'll be some trivia that'll come up later <laughs> as to why she's there. But, uh, I mean, she's there story-wise because he accidentally materializes her. The matter transporter? Now what foul evil have I brought aboard the TARDIS? What's going on? The TARDIS? I don't believe it! <sighs> Hello, Tegan. Right, somehow. Um, but it's, it's, you know, it's, it's easy to look back on it and forget that they were never companions. Like, no. they'd never met. Yeah. But the weird thing is they have this rapport where, you know, she's seen a regeneration. Mm-hmm. So it it's not unbelievable that she would be like, okay, it's an, it's the doctor. Yeah. I get that. And he, he kind of waves it away with one line. He says, I've regenerated again. It makes sense. You know, she shouldn't be freaked out or anything. But they have this dynamic right away where they're shitting on each other. <laughs> you know what I mean? Which she had never experienced. Big Cleveland steamer. No, but like... Uh, <laughs> Five and Tegan never had that relationship. And she didn't know four for long enough. Knew four for like two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> like her relationship with the doctor was very chummy. She was the sort of jokey one. He was a feat. We'll bring that up again. <laughs> <laughs> Why did she feel so comfortable with that dynamic all of a sudden? It's. I think it's more so just that they're, you know, six is kind of sassy. And but so they've got that sass off. It's, a very, it's just a very outside universe perspective. You know what I mean? Sure. That she would immediately adapt to that. Yeah, well, it's also, what, a five-minute skit? How long is it? No, it's, it's longer than that. It, what's weird is it's like seven minutes until Santarans show up. Yeah, it does take a while. It's, a, it's a quite night. a while before Gareth Jenkins shows up. Yeah, he's like about five minutes in. Can we talk for a second about Tegan's hair? Sure. <laughs> was that ever a hairstyle? I know her hair was like that because like she'd had it cut or dyed for a different role, and then they tried to do something to it to make it look more like the show or something yeah i Why? didn't write they I, couldn't just w- I don't know i didn't write down that piece of trivia because i didn't understand it or find it interesting <laughs> <laughs> she's got like two different hairstyles at once yeah it's very strange i don't know if they put like a wig on over her hair or something that would make sense yeah but it, it doesn't look good it doesn't look good no it looks like a wookie head <laughs> <laughs> she's got wookie head she's getting some wookie I, I was about to say i love wookie head <laughs> um well he knows not to use the teeth or rather, to use the right amount of teeth. They've got those like shark, which canines. is lots of lots of teeth. <laughs> <laughs> nothing but nothing but Wookie teeth. Okay, so there is now a feature in the TARDIS where you can press a button and not materialize the TARDIS, but materialize somebody inside. Yeah, multiple times in one episode, and seemingly it's a random person. I mean, he didn't select Gareth Jenkins to show up on board. What's weird is. The Gareth Jenkins ones, it happens because he was thinking about someone like that. Yeah, so was he thinking about Tegan? He Is must it, have been. I, I get, In the back of his mind, there was a little Tegan half-chub. <laughs> Her neck looks tender. <laughs> I should have choked it when her, I had the chance. Her weird hair is calling to me. <laughs> so maybe it works the same way as they make the psychic... Don't even bring that shit up. I hate that stuff so much. From Hyde? Is that what we're talking about? Oh, That's what no. I'm talking about. Okay, good. What are you talking about? Uh, not hide what am i talking about listen from listen yes that is the stuff i'm talking about (laughs) way to muddy the waters (laughs) so they're both one-worded episodes yeah 
The, I hate the, that shit. I hate the psychic goop you just put your fingers in in the TARDIS and then suddenly the TARDIS has no rules anymore at all. <laughs> Literally all of the rules in the entirety of New Who are out the window. You can go to Gallifrey. Anybody can drive the TARDIS. Who gives a shit? Yeah, that's Clara true. put her fingers in the TARDIS. <laughs> Clara fingered the TARDIS and now it's all out the window. That's how you become its wife. <laughs> that's how Tegan gets there. Presumably. She, fin- she fingered the TARDIS. Am I not following this? No. Colin must have, <laughs> Six must have fingered. He fingered the TARDIS. Okay. Yeah. While thinking of Tegan, <laughs> yeah. it's not very faithful of him. <laughs> well, that's how he rolls. <laughs> so this, so we really, like our interpretation of the story now <laughs> is very different about this eight-year-old child's dream. It involves TARDIS fingering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What did he expect? Yes, that would mean that they, he would have had to have been fingering the TARDIS yet again while thinking of Gareth Jenkins. <laughs> no, no. It's even better than that. He was thinking of himself. himself. <laughs> <laughs> and Gareth Jenkins just happens to show up because he's wearing a Sixth Doctor costume. Yes, because he's much like the Sixth Doctor. Well, what's weird about that is in the episode, Six kind of treats him like he's the Doctor. We want to set the coaxial stabilizers. Set the coaxial stabilizers. Charge the astral inducers. Charge the astral inducers. Prime the mandrel condensers. Prime the mandrel condensers. Because he's supposed to be in this world, Gareth Jenkins is basically a, a, a little version of the Doctor. He's like, he has that line. Well, what were you thinking about when I pressed the button? I can't be sure. I think I was hoping that someone would come and help us. Someone of great courage, vast intellect. An incredible perspicacity. Someone, in fact, not unlike myself. So Gareth Jenkins, really just by nature of his grandmother having made him the series, <laughs> is presumed to have all of the other qualities of the Sixth Doctor as well. Well, so what's strange to me is he doesn't seem excited at all. I It's so funny. And I, I was trying to figure out, like, what's the balance of, like, how much of this, is this just he's eight and he does know how to react to things? Uh-huh. To me, the epitome of it there's the obvious moment, which is where they give him the gun at the end as like a little prize to take home. And right. he just, just sort of takes it and it's just like, eh. <laughs> he just looks bored. Yeah, the I love the part when he teleports in, he materializes. And his posture, he's kind of like sloping his shoulders and he's just kind of looking forward like, yep. <laughs> Again, you know, he's eight. You got to cut him a break. Like they may have told him like you have to stand really still because we're doing a cross dissolve or something. Right. And so that meant... He kind of slouched or something like that. But he does look incredibly not excited to be there in that shot. I know how an eight-year-old's child's mind works. They don't hold on to a thought for very long. (laughs) But he had a thought of, I want to meet Colin Baker. He wrote a letter about it. He just met Colin Baker. Even if he wasn't excited about the fact that he's on the show, he's meeting the person he previously stated, I want to meet. A smile. Just a smile, kid. You've got to leave some room for he was nervous, and there may have been multiple takes, and you know it's like like film production is weird for a kid. Yeah. So it's it, but yeah, the end result is an odd detached vibe from him. <laughs> so the Centaurans show up, and I don't know about you, but I thought they looked extra shitty in this, except for the part where they're melting. I mean, they look pretty close to Centauran, classic Centaurans. But they were way too tall. They were so tall. It's like they, they the went out of their way. They were the tallest ever. Because I'm pretty sure Colin Baker's pretty tall, isn't he? But he's a they were man. like a half a foot 
<laughs> he's a brute man. He's a brute man. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> they were like half a foot taller than he was. Yeah. They just look giant. And, and they, their bodies look too skinny. Mm-hmm. And he's like, like super tight outfits. And one of them did this really creepy thing where he like licked his tongue all around his lips. Yes. <laughs> uh, Six does have a really great line. He says, I can help you. Help. Help me. I am a time lord. If I can't help myself, what can a Gareth Jenkins from Earth do? And I actually thought that had kind of like an 11th Doctor quality to it. Mm-hmm. Like you can imagine Matt Smith being that. Like, what can a Gareth, you know, say, a uh, Gareth Jenkins? I just remember listening to that and thinking, it's a shitty thing to say about the kid who's this is entirely for. If you think that's shitty, I love that the Suntarans specifically want to kill real-life Gareth Jenkins. <laughs> Because they come in and they're like, the original plan is they're on the TARDIS to kill the Doctor. And they, they discover Gareth Jenkins. And they apparently in the future, he's going to thwart a Centauran invasion scheme in the year 2001. Which maybe it was 9-11. We don't know. That's just a fan theory. Uh, but he's supposed to thwart that scheme. And they go, we must kill Gareth Jenkins. <laughs> then it cuts to this eight-year-old. And I'm just thinking, he's just a few years away from thinking these are actual creatures. And they're staring at him and saying, we must kill you. <laughs> With this big gun. And then after yeah. they melt, it's given to him. I do love the shot where they melt, though. Yeah. I feel like like that part really, really surprised me. Because everything else felt very much like, okay, this is on the cheap, thrown together, minisode, one set, sort of padded out with dialogue. And then there's this like long-ass effect sequence with these melting Centaurans that looks good. Yeah. How do you feel about this? I, I think that... The choice to have Gareth Jenkins be this John Connor type <laughs> where you tell this little kid, you know, he's going to have to do something really important in the future when he's eight years old, being told to him by his icons. Mm. That seems dangerous to me. <laughs> I think having him hit a switch on the TARDIS console that apparently was filled with sarin gas <laughs> that leads to two Suntarans dying of a seizure massive, horrible death on the floor is also a weird decision. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they could have just, they could have done literally anything. It's just, it's not at all what you would expect. Yeah. First of all, why does the doctor have nerve gas? <laughs> why not? Because he's the doctor. Yeah, but that happened in, recently in an episode. He had nerve gas? Yeah, he, remember he stole nerve gas from units so that they couldn't use it on the Zygons? Okay, so he stole it so they couldn't use it. Not he had it built into the TARDIS console. Maybe maybe it's like, you know, I assume he has some kind of food replicator in there. Maybe you can just type in sarin gas. That's not food, dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you can make food, you can make gas. I don't know if that adds up. <laughs> So at the end of this skit, the facade kind of drops away. The Sixth Doctor pushes some buttons, and Jimmy shows up on the screen behind him. He makes the weirdest fucking noise when his head shows up. Do you remember this? <laughs> yeah. It's like a... Whoa! It's monstrous! It's revolting! <laughs> yeah, and then they're like, what the horrible beast is that? Yeah. It's like a pedophile, allegedly. <laughs> During this whole episode, I just kept thinking pedophile, 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 allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. <laughs> it's very hard to ignore. 
Yeah, and then he comes into the TARDIS. I feel like the way they do it, they actually kind of transition out of the episode nicely because it feels like the episode fully ends and then they go into that bit. Right. Then as soon as Jimmy Seville gets out there, it does make me uncomfortable. When he's just standing next to the kid? Yeah, I'm just like, just get away from that. Just, stand just, like just allegedly get away from that kid. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I really want to commend Colin Baker for in this is, and it's true, I think, to some extent, for Janet Fielding as well, you can tell he really didn't phone it in at all. Yeah, he was very committed to making this kid's day. Yeah, he wanted to make the kid really happy, and he wanted to be the sixth Doctor fully. I think the secret to that is just loving Doctor Who. You know, I think you you're can right. tell Colin Baker loves the show, even though it kind of dealt him a shit hand. This was probably a really rushed thing, and a lot of actors would not have given it their all. But it really feels like an actual story with the Doctor. Yeah, which is why it's able to be discussed here and not just people on a set handing a toy gun to a kid. Yeah, and so big kudos to Colin Baker for that because I think, I think you're right. I think it's his love of the show that makes that happen. And so my, my one last question about this, this mini-sode, how, you know, dubious question within Doctor Who to begin with, but how canonical do you think this is? <laughs> okay, um... It's it's hard to call it canon when the kid is literally wearing his outfit. <laughs> it could have easily been fixed with just having be a kid that Colin Baker determines is very important. And then I think you could call it canon. Yeah, I think, you know, there's the end sequence. Right. There's him saying, I watch you on the telly. There's like a number of things that are just like, uh, I can't quite be. Yeah. Well, I, I will say, you know, my personal thing when uh-huh. I'm deciding what's canon and what's not and by the way in case you're wondering i am the deciding factor <laughs> it's generally comes down to was the cast involved yeah I, is was a doctor's actor involved i think you could call like the first couple minutes canon that's what i think i think like up, basically it's canon and then you have to kind of be like it stops being canon at this point right well because at some a certain point, it stops being an episode. Exactly. And kind of Colin Baker stops being the doctor and starts like, being Colin Baker. Jimmy Seville walks on. That yeah. can't, you know, there's an alleged pedophile, allegedly. <laughs> it allegedly stops being canon at that point. <laughs> now that we've discussed a fix with Centaurans, time for some trivia with Centaurans. While they share the same name, and despite a number of false rumors, the Gareth Jenkins featured in this story is not the audio engineer and composer by the same name who would later work for Big Finish. The mini-episode is introduced as featuring two Doctors, appropriately, as it was broadcast during the initial airing of The Two Doctors, featuring Colin Baker and Patrick Troughton. Well, that's interesting. See, it would, have made, it would have made it more canonical for me if the kid was dressed up as Pat Troughton, and we just said that it was the second Doctor. It's the little baby second Doctor. Yeah. Well, you know, their ages always get weird when they meet each other. <laughs> yeah. Would it have made it more canonical if Patrick Trowan was there? Does the more cast make it Absolutely. more canonical? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, Janet Fielding there adds a little bit. It wasn't until a 2013 signing event that Colin Baker and Gareth Jenkins would reunite. Gareth works for a charity now, and it sounds like it was a very pleasant meeting. So that's nice. Yeah. So the lead Centauran was named Group Marshal Nathan, and his underling, whose name is never said in the episode, but it's referred to as Turner in the script. <laughs> what? Yes, that's right. Was a reference to the then showrunner, John Nathan Turner. Who? Th- why? Because they're writing a script for no reason. They're, you know, somebody's bored. <laughs> Just, uh, 
Group Marshal Nathan or whatever <laughs> does not sound like a Santaran name. No. Turner's okay. It's, yeah, I agree, actually. It's a little bit better because it's slightly less of a human name. They should have switched him around. Yeah. Nicola Bryant was actually intended to star in the minisode, but was unavailable. So Janet Fielding was asked to fill in. So that's why all of that happened. Jimmy Seville would, of course, later turn out to be a huge pedo, allegedly. <laughs> this leads to some interesting, or perhaps more accurately, discomforting vibes and pieces of trivia from this minisode. For example, you can see Colin Baker cringe as Jimmy Seville kisses Janet Fielding's hand. That's... I didn't, I didn't notice that. That's yeah, strange. you can watch that towards the end. He kisses her hand. He goes like, the lovely Janet Fielding something. He kisses her hand. And, and he goes like, <laughs> And Colin Baker said of Seville, he was creepy and patronizing. Oh, nice. Yes. Who gave this guy a kid's show? Someone who loves pedophiles, allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> this mini episode was originally included in the 2003 DVD release of The Two Doctors. But after the pedophile allegations against Seville hit the mainstream... It was removed from more recent editions. So if you want to watch it now, you can look online or try to find an old copy of the DVD. That seems mean to Gareth Jenkins. It's yeah. not his fault. I agree, but if you're the BBC, yeah. you really don't want to get involved with the pedophile, allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. <laughs> it's true. We'll now move on to a new Who minisode that features a fan interaction. This one is called Tonight's the Night. <laughs> The power of a time and space will be mine. <laughs> Hold it right there, mister. Who the hell are you and what are you doing on the TARDIS? Captain Jack enters the TARDIS to find a strange figure lurking behind the console, posing as the Doctor. But that's not the only surprise in this tiny new Who special. All right, so tonight's the night. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about it, Vanner? So tonight's the night is actually kind of uh, a made-up title. Tonight's the night is actually the, the name of a talent show that John Barrowman was hosting and that they decided to throw a Doctor Who skit into. It was written by Russell T. Davies. And afterwards, after asked, what do we call this? Russell T. Davies said, just call it Tonight's the Night. In this case, the fan who won a contest is Tim Ingham. And he was allowed to actually play a monster on the TARDIS set in this uh, skit. So uh, what did you think about uh, Tonight's the Night? It's very short. It is very short. Incredibly short. This is the shortest of the shorts that will probably ever be discussed on this show. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. It's very fun. I actually, I like Tim Ingham in it. I think that he does a pretty decent job. I mean, to be fair, his face is entirely covered. <laughs> he's got this kind of, a, if you're familiar with It's Always Sunny, he's got like a, a green man suit, except <laughs> it's blue man. And then he's just wearing like a, a hat. A, a, what do you call those? A Trilby. fedora? A what? Trilby. Sure, a trilby and like a trench coat. But yeah, I thought he was pretty decent in it. Yeah, he did a good job of doing exactly what you needed to do for Sao Till as he plays this uh, basically screaming villain. <laughs> yeah, he's missing his left hand. I don't remember. Right he's missing. He's missing a hand and is in place of that like a weird mechanical weapon. It was a neural probe yes, right? that allows right. him to stun his enemies. And Which gives him away. He has a great line where he says, My species are arms traders. Or weapons? No, literally. We do arms and legs. So I knew you would like that. That is by far my least favorite part of this thing. Why? Because it's stupid. It's so funny. It's the lazy. He doesn't have an arm. Dumb pun. <laughs> <laughs> I also think when you actually 
and you know you shouldn't do this that much but when you put any amount of thought whatsoever into what that planet would be like was it Aminopia? so there it's just a planet full of arms traders that they just sell organs mm -hmm. first of all that economy is going to be totally screwed up <laughs> but also it's going to be gross yeah they're just going to be goop everywhere yeah, they're aliens. Aliens are gross, probably. But those are the worst aliens. Yeah, nobody likes Sautil. Nobody wants to go to that Aminopia. <laughs> <laughs> so what's strange about this skit to me is when it was released, Captain Jack is not a member of the TARDIS team. He's not a current companion. He hadn't been on the... Well, I guess this was after Series 4, so he had maybe appeared in Journey's End. Why is he getting on the TARDIS at all? Well, Torchwood is still a going prospect at this point, right? What, this so is between Miracle Day and um, Children of Earth, right? When yes. this comes out? Yeah. So he's not going into the TARDIS a lot, but he's still around. So you think this is like the same situation that happened at the end of yeah. Series 3 where he saw it land and just ran toward it? Yeah. And then when he gets in, it's not the Doctor, but it's Sautil. It's like, what's the Doctor doing? He's just like in the pool and one of those floaties just jacking off. Well, I assume he's at. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're right. I assume he's just out having an adventure. If that's true, then Sautil deserves the TARDIS. Well, because it's the same, you know, River Song tells us the same thing that sometimes she'll steal the TARDIS when he's off having an adventure and just bring it back. Yeah, but she's, you know, she knows him. She knows trickery and stuff like that. Like she had opportunities to get a key from him. Like Sautil would be like the first alien in the show to have broken into the TARDIS. Well, I mean, to answer that question, we should probably get to the twist of this skit, <laughs> which is that... What do you mean? What are you talking about? <laughs> what twist? About halfway in, the, the door opens and in walks not the 10th Doctor, but David Tennant. Um, John? What are you doing in here? Everyone's got home. I was just showing a friend of mine around the TARDIS. <laughs> My name is Sal Till. It's Tim. And I do love that Tim stays in character. Says, <laughs> I am Sal Till. And he's like, he's Tim. <laughs> yeah. And it, it takes a funny little turn. Yeah. Um, I, I think for me, by far, the funniest part is I think it's, you know, it's a sort of a culmination of the whole thing is when uh, David Tennant turns back to them after seemingly just being like, okay, guys, whatever. And goes, oh, one more thing. <laughs> Oh, and John, another thing. Yeah. My daughter's. <laughs> Mine. <laughs> you know, I've seen David Tennant in a lot of interviews and stuff. I don't think he's playing David Tennant in this. No, but he is for the very beginning. Because at the very beginning, he comes in and he's got his Scottish accent going and stuff like yeah, that. But, but his he, accent kind of changes. When he goes, it's my TARDIS, mine, he's the doctor. Right, but even when he's just interacting with them as David Tennant, he's got a lot of mannerisms that he brings to the doctor but not necessarily to his other characters he probably can't help himself he's not the tardis you know what i mean it's like associative <laughs> maybe yeah but i love the moment when he first opens his mouth and starts talking and you hear his normal accent because you already see that he has a t-shirt on mm -hmm. but when he starts talking and it's his actual accent you just know what the the whole gag is right camera pans over and it's all green screen and camera equipment yeah when we get one of the only angles we ever get to see of what the other side of that set looks <laughs> yeah. like and i mean it looks exactly what you expected to <laughs> yeah. but it's just interesting to see where that set ends and in the the little clip of this you can find online it's really fun because you see the behind the scenes footage and you get to see that you know tim tim ingham 
didn't know that David Tennant was going to be included in it. Yeah, they changed the script the day of. Feel the massage on the back of your shoulders. Ah! You. Hello. <laughs> Hello. 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 Nice to meet you. I think I know you from somewhere. Well, and it's so endearing. I mean, particularly as a fellow massive Doctor Who nerd, that he's already just like almost overwhelmed with excitement, just touching the TARDIS and meeting John Barrowman. And then when David Tennant creeps up on him and surprises him, I mean, he just about dies. Yeah, it's so great. I was wondering, at one point in this episode, episode, at one point in this thing, <laughs> Captain Jack calls Sow Tills sexy or hot. She's my new form. It's a bit blue. <laughs> Which for me, it's kind of hot. <laughs> and so I, I think based on that, we can infer that as long as they were wearing a, a trilby or fedora of some kind, he would probably fuck a Smurf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I just think, like, as a fan, what it would mean to have Captain Jack call you hot. Yeah. Well, but you're covered in weird blue goop with mounds on your face. <laughs> it's fine. You I'm take fine it. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to masturbate to that video for the rest of my life. <laughs> just on a loop. Yeah. It's like, it's kind of hot, works for me. It's like, kind of hot, works for me. It's kind of <laughs> hot, that. works for me. <laughs> <laughs> just in your sow till mask. Yeah. It's well, like, yes, John. It's pretty gross at this point. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you answer my emails? <laughs> my favorite part of this is, at one point, Captain Jack makes a passing remark that he just went to a party in Alpha Centauri, which implies that he had sex with an Alpha Centaurian. If you've seen the Peladon episodes, they're just like a big green worm thing with a single eye. Listen, he's not picky. Yeah. But so speaking of uh, Mr. Uh, Fedora Smurf, Sowtill himself, what do you think of Sowtill's design? I think it's very cheap. <laughs> and I think it's something that maybe they had already to be as like a, a background monster. Oh, that's an interesting idea. Yeah, it's it, it's basically just like a felt thing over his head. But it, it works because, you know, the premise isn't that he's an alien. It's that a guy in a shitty alien outfit is pretending to be an alien. Yeah, I mean, I think it obviously it looks like Rorschach fucked somebody from the Blue Man group. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it, it does kind of work on all levels. It's like just enough. Like, yeah. realistically, the show's had worse things than Sautel on it. Uh huh. You know what I mean? Like, you'd take Sautel. I mean, I would take Sautel over any of the... Anything in classic who it's just a person with paint on them. And then over the Slovene, you know what I mean? Like there's there's a lot of new who things that I would I'd take Sautil over. That's true. Yeah, and it really works uh, after the the turn has been made. I love like the last shot of it. We see finally like an angle of the TARDIS, but also the set. Yes. In yeah. the way so we can see that it's fake. And they're just going bang, bang, bang. Yeah. Oh, and during that part, John Barrowman, I I didn't notice this until like the third time I'd seen it. He does a random like rockets kick. <laughs> He's like shooting at him, and then he just like nails one. Like he can do, he can really kick high. Oh, I'm sure <laughs> he, he like kicks one of his legs super high up while shooting at Sautil. He's a he's a real uh, professional. That is very true. He's a showman. He is. Yeah. He's also a gayman. <laughs> <laughs> and that is a cheap laugh, folks. <laughs> <laughs> one interesting thing about this is that it uses, as part of its story while it has a story, <laughs> an alien doing a false regeneration gambit. And so this is a story that we actually had seen multiple times in Eighth Doctor comics, being like, this is the new Ninth Doctor, but right. it would turn out not to be true. 
And it's not something the new show has ever really done in earnest. You could say almost with a Jackson Lake in the, the next, next doctor. doctor. Kind of, but it's not the same thing. It's not an alien impersonating the doctor. Right. And I'd actually love to see an episode where they do it. Yeah, that'd be an interesting thing to to play around with. I think the issue is because you know it's fake, you also can probably guess what's going on. Yeah, it's it certainly has that one trapdoor in it, but I think you just work with that trapdoor and you know use it to do another reversal on the audience. Mm-hmm. But it's neat to see to see it appear in New Who in some form, even if it's in two and a half minutes <laughs> with Sowtill. Okay, so here's a super nerdy discussion that is totally looking a gift horse in the mouth, right? Mm-hmm. But say you're Tim Ingham, right? You get this opportunity, and you're do- Tim Tim Ingham. I heard say you're Timming him. <laughs> I'm like, is this a weird thing I can do to John Barrowman? You're timing Barman? him. You're timing John Barrowman as hard as you possibly can. Okay. No lube. Right. Right. The <laughs> no sweat one? is drenched timing down. And dry. You know, and he's saying, don't come. <laughs> but you can't say, you can't help it. Uh-huh. But he's saying, you know, if you can make it another minute, I'll put you on arrow. <laughs> You're right. This is very t- nerdy. Okay. Let's reset. <laughs> so you're Tim. Uh-huh. And you're you've got this amazing opportunity. Then you see the script. Maybe it's even when you see the revised script or whatever. You know, in your head, you're going to be in like a mini-sode of Doctor Who. But then you find out it has this reversal where what's happening is clearly not canon at all. Right. Are you at all disappointed? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Right? Isn't, when, that, uh, yeah. isn't that horrible to say, but isn't it so true? Yeah, but at the same time, you know... I'd like to think that I'm just so excited that I won't think about that until like a you know weeks you would later. though you know you would though yeah like normal people wouldn't. What am I supposed to do? I can't go to Russell and be like, "Hey, I've got some notes for your script." <laughs> <laughs> this is like this is this is the needs to be canon. <laughs> it needs to be canon or I walk. <laughs> yeah. All right. Bye. The thing is, I think any normal human, and I hope Tim had this attitude. <laughs> would just be too awash with delight to even consider that. But I think if you or I were in that situation, as soon as we got to that third page, yeah, there'd be this little bit of like, really? Maybe you could do some really like headcanon weaving. Oh, it's so hard in this one. Uh, it's so hard. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, you could just say... You could just watch the script, the skit, and then just delete it the moment David Tennant shows up on screen. <laughs> it's it's such a petty, terrible, like it's the worst side of nerddom to have that <laughs> in your head. But I couldn't help but think that of being like, I would be bummed. I would also be a little bit bummed that I won this competition to get to appear in Doctor Who, and then they make me put a thing over my face. <laughs> oh, I would just assume I was too ugly. Yeah. I would definitely just put that in the bank. <laughs> I'd be like confirmed too ugly for TV. <laughs> I mean, he was fine looking. Stick to podcasting. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, that's not a comment on him at all. Yeah. I would feel like I kind of take it to heart. Do you think I'm ugly? Does Russell T Davies think I'm ugly? I'm mean, not good enough for you, Russell T Davies. Would you put on lipstick and kiss Russell T Davies? <laughs> for what? Just just cause? Just because? Just because you got the opportunity? No. Would you? Of course. <laughs> 
just to say that you did? Yeah, just because it's can I just one? I'd rather just meet him and have a discussion with him and not kiss him. Yes, (laughs) (laughs) I think John Barrowman and David Tennant are both very good in it. Yeah, it's the same kind of situation where you can just see the the love is there. Yeah, they don't care that it's just a bullshit thing that they have to be there for for a couple hours. It's like part of me wants to say that. John Barrowman isn't quite as committed to his performance, but I think it's actually that he's doing a kind of meta performance where he knows he's supposed to be himself acting. Oh, yeah. So he's kind of like, toward, particularly towards the end, he's very much, like before the actual twist, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to shoot you, so I'll tell. You know what I mean? Like he's deliberately starting to ham it up yeah. and stuff. Yeah, he is. They both seem like really genuinely nice people who wanted to make it a, a really special and a nice day for the contest winner. Yeah, what a day it would have been. I don't oh, know yeah. why I say it would have been. It would have been had he not died beforehand <laughs> and been replaced by a lizard person. <laughs> but replaced by Sao Till. Sao Till. Who, who they then had to put in Tim Ingham makeup. Oh, okay. That's how they did it. They That's, Timming. I don't know if you got him. that. Did you get that in your trivia? I do, yeah. Yeah, okay, good. Yeah. I did think it was funny watching it. The idea that David Tennant stays late at work. Yeah. <laughs> That makes no sense to me. No. Well, also, what was he doing? What's he? Why, why did he walk through the TARDIS? I guess he was seeing if John Barrowman needed a ride, but he didn't know he was there. Well, I, I took you know the- what? I don't think this adds up. <laughs> <laughs> I guess what we really should do as as tradition is we should presume someone is fucking someone in this thing. Are you shipping Tim and Tim and Barrowman, or Tim and the TARDIS? Oh, I like Tim and the TARDIS. Yeah, that's what that's he was doing before, before. I'm going to ship Sao Till and the TARDIS because okay. I feel like the the probe probably links up somewhere on the console you, you know gotta what I mean? think that a neural probe would go into those uh, weird capaldi goop controls. don't bring up the goop holes <laughs> but yeah. I bet there's, there's some kind of port that he can lock into and then she can make some sounds that <laughs> 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 sounds more like a horse well that was tonight's the night and now tonight's the night for trivia i loved it <laughs> This was directed by Alice Troughton, who's directed quite a few Russell T. Davies episodes, including Midnight. This is no relation to Pat Troughton. Wow, directed uh, Midnight. Yeah. That's pretty cool. It's interesting. She directed Midnight, and then also David Troughton is in Hmm. Midnight. But no relation. Love me some Midnight. Can't wait to get that in an episode. This was, at the time, the shortest televised Who-related production ever. But so something has usurped its position since. Yeah, it was one of the Amy and Rory home life shorts that they were doing. Oh, Pond Life. Pond Life. Because they made yeah a bunch of those. Those are tiny. Yeah, they're very short. Yeah. All right. So I wrote this down word for word from where I found it. Well, we can discuss about how true this actually is. (laughs) Since David Tennant doesn't actually play the Doctor, this is the first story since Mission to the Unknown to not feature the character. Well, I, I don't think it's a story. Yeah, it doesn't count. Like, it's one thing we didn't get into uh, in the discussion, really, is how canonical is this? Right. And I think if you were to put it on a scale of one to ten, it's like a two. It's much harder to say than... I just don't think it's very, you know... Because the, the whole premise is it's a gag at right. the end. Too much of it hinges on the fact that it is John Barrowman and David Tennant. Speaking of which... Russell T. Davies actually planned and penned this to be canon, but then decided not to afterwards because he also intended for this to be the last thing he ever wrote for Doctor Who. Whoa. Right. 
Oh, because this is when they were still figuring out if he was going to do the specials or not. Yes. Well, this is actually, he wrote this after the specials. But what changed is that he then wrote for Matt Smith on Sarah Jane Adventures, which he counts. Wow. Flashing back to our previous discussion, that kind of sucks for for Tim, if he thinks at all like we do. Yeah. (laughs) Hopefully he doesn't. He would have been the last thing. That's crazy. And it would have been canon. Yeah. Poor Tim. (laughs) Your life sucks. You got to go on the set. Oh, you met David Tennant and John Barrowman. Man, you poor guy. I feel so bad for you. I hear your dick's huge. <laughs> <laughs> Although this was written after the specials, it actually aired before them, and it marked the first time that the TARDIS was shown in HD. So that's what I thought. I thought this was before the specials. That's interesting that he wrote it after. That is an interesting landmark. First time the TARDIS was shown in HD. So now that we've discussed our two minisodes, we're going to have ourselves a little dilemma. Now you have got to make a choice. All right, so for this dilemma, I choose as the superior minisode a fix with Santarans. You know, I, I was trying to think what's the best way to go here. And when it comes down to it, I think they're both really fun. I think I have to also go with fix with Santarans just because there's more. There's more. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot easier to argue. I thought for sure you were going to pick the other one. I'm well, actually very surprised, but I guess we have a true dilemma. It's time to bring back a fan favorite. Fenro Kamar flipping the coin. Okay, Edward Grove, I've got a coin. We've got a dilemma. You've got to make a call. All right. I still believe that you will fail to catch the coin, <laughs> but I will choose tails. So now we proved that I can catch it that if I you stand are, up. You are capable of catching it. How, how much do you think my skills have improved? Not. All right, so you're you're going tails. So if you get tails, you get a fix with some tarns. Yep. Oh, oh, he did it! I caught it with one hand too. I was that is the normal fashion for catching a coin. <laughs> it's, it's not really a thing you're supposed to brag about. <laughs> it is tails. Uh, how do I win every time? Because you're a little piece of shit. <laughs> That's true. I do use my shit powers to manipulate the coin. All right. You are going for the classic mini-sode today, so why don't you start it off? All right, so the main reason that a fix with Suntarans is better, specifically over Tonight's the Night, is that a fix with Suntarans, while it still has the twist at the end with an alleged pedophile walking onto the set, which is, of course, a proud tradition of English television, <laughs> um, it is actually an episode. You know what I mean? It's actually a story. It's got a beginning, a middle, and an end. Yeah, it resolves still. You can, you know, like we joked at one point about like ending it right as right before David Tennant walks on for Tonight's the Night. But if you do that... There's no just, resolution. Yeah, you just have two guys pointing guns at each other. Thank you for making my points for me. Uh, <laughs> but if you you can do that in A Fix with Santarans, and the story is actually over. They actually told the whole story involving weird shit Melty shit. A little kid says an odd, odd, <laughs> an odd story, but it actually resolves. Well, you're wrong, and here's why. <laughs> uh, you're only talking about it as if it's a Doctor Who story, which, let's face it, neither of these are. And if you're going to try and claim 
that a fix with Sontarans has a Doctor Who story in it, you have to explain how a pedophile <laughs> allegedly, shows up. Allegedly, allegedly. allegedly <laughs> an alleged pedophile <laughs> shows up in the TARDIS and that fits in with the canon. The issue is that actually has less story than Tonight's the Night, where Tonight's the Night actually has a pretty decent story. It has a beginning of you think one thing, there's a twist, and then there's a resolution to that twist. And I think the issue here is this is a Doctor Who podcast, and so they're evaluated as Doctor Who stories. And as I said, if you want to claim that it's a better Doctor Who story, you need to explain to me two things. One, what is Jimmy Seville doing there? And two, why is there a little kid version of the Sixth Doctor who shows up in the TARDIS? No, because I just need to explain why it's a better Doctor Who story than Tonight's the Night. Yes, which I already did. (laughs) But I I would say that Tonight's the Night is way more fun, even in the the Doctor Who-ness. I will say it's definitely funnier. Oh, yeah. And it's tighter because it's tiny. (laughs) It's very small. Uh, Much less to, for me to work with here. <laughs> but John Barrowman versus uh, Sow Till, they, they actually do do a pretty decent scene together for a non-actor. Let's talk about Tim Ingham versus Gareth Jenkins. Well, I actually think Gareth Jenkins is a better child actor than at least 60 to 70% of the child actors in Classic Who. Okay, I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about <laughs> Tim Ingham, and he's he does a great job. But, uh, well, he t- emotes. You no, know? he doesn't really. He yells through a blue mask. <laughs> but it's better than, I am I was asked to be here, and so now I am here, and now I'm doing this thing. Oh, I actually think Gareth Jenkins does a good job when he's doing the thing where uh, the doctor is saying the different uh, like techno babble at the console, and then he's uh, parroting it back. I don't remember really caring about him at that point but i will tell you what point i do like him is when he first shows up in the tardis and he goes boo yeah the boo thing is good yeah but i actually think particularly for a a child actor he does a a good job and he has a lot more to do than sawtill sawtill could have adr'd everything we saw (laughs) that could have not been tim ingham doing any of that for all we know listen my goal here is not to crush the the life out of an eight-year-old child (laughs) But he's a shitty performer. <laughs> he sucks the energy out of every shot that he's in. Whereas- nah, I, I think you're being way too harsh. I think if you actually think of him on the scale of how child actors perform, he's serviceable. No. He totally is. Compare him to the kids in the Twin Dilemma. No, I'm going car- to compare him to Lupita Nyong'o. <laughs> okay, you're right. He's not going to be nominated for an Academy Award for a fix with Centaurans. No, I, I think they're both, you know, they're both very one-dimensional performances. For me, honestly, they're about on par. You can say Sautil comes off as a little bit better because Sautil has a really funny moment where uh, John Barrowman's saying, it's my friend Tim, and he says Sautil, and he goes, I don't know the place in England. Sorry, England. <laughs> but he says uh, Aminopia, and then he says, I don't know, I'm just going to say Stratford-upon-Avon because that's where Shakespeare's from, but so, so <laughs> some actual upon some place in England. Like that line means that Tim gets a laugh and uh, Gareth Jenkins doesn't get a laugh ever, you know? He, he's not provided any spots where his performance actually gets to like elicit emotion. Out Maybe of, you they know. wrote one for him and realized this kid's not going to perform a line. I don't think they wrote any lines for him. This is Don't fan theory to faults in the episode. <laughs> And I, and I do think there is a reasonable shifting scale when you're talking about an eight-year-old. <laughs> I just expect something. 
just give me a smile. That makes me sound like Jimmy Seville. Yeah, you are. Yeah, just give me a smile. Just sit on my lap. Just allegedly sit on my lap. Come a little closer. But I, I think the story for A Fix and Suntarans has just too many holes for the sake of providing this kid with a nice experience. Whereas I think Russell T. Davis actually went out of his way to make a story that, although it's not canon, and I wouldn't argue that either of these are canon. I'm curious to hear what the holes in a fix with Suntarans are, because I don't think there's enough story for there to be holes. What the hell is Tegan Jovanka doing there? She got materialized on the TARDIS. So the TARDIS random picks a person out of random, and it just happens to be Tegan Jovanka? Well, yeah, I mean, that's not a plot hole. It's stupid, but it's not a plot hole. Right. Maybe plot hole isn't the right term. Yeah. But the the story doesn't quite hold up. I think the story holds up fine. Again, stupid. How did the, the, the Suntarans board the TARDIS? And I know it's fine if we don't see that, but just some kind of explanation. It's I mean, the most secure spaceship in the universe. I think the reason we don't see that is because they wanted to keep it to one set and they didn't want to show. If you're going to show Suntarans boarding the TARDIS or something like that, that's another scene. Uh, but I agree, that's, that's a big deal. But I mean, you could make the same thing about Sautil. How did but Sautil is not an actual alien who boarded the TARDIS. <laughs> Sautil is Tim You're still Ingham. supposed to believe it for, you know, 60% of the story. Right. But that's fine. I don't expect them to give me a line, a one-line explanation for Sautil in those first 60 seconds. If it turned out Sautil was an actual alien, I could understand, you know, three minutes in, they're like, I boarded because my arm's got special TARDIS key functionality, you know? <laughs> At the end of the day, our theme today is fan service. Yes. It's not fans getting to be in a canon experience. A Fix with Suntarans is an actual story that still does every bit as much for the fan service. It, does, it provides every bit as much of an experience for Gareth Jenkins. And you and I talked about the degree of disappointment we would have felt. It's, and it's so nerdy and unfair, but it's true reading the last page of the script for Tonight's the Night and realizing, oh, this isn't even remotely real. But if I was if I was fucking Gareth Jenkins, I would insist that Why shit was Why are you canon. fucking Gareth Jenkins? <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> if I was Gareth Jenkins, I would insist that shit was canon to my dying day. <laughs> then how do you explain Jimmy Seville? You just be like, it ends at that point. Once the, the story actually ends, so you can actually be like, it ends. There's no cut. There's no there's production. No cut, but it logically ends. You know you would do the same thing. <laughs> yeah, you're grinning. I see it. <laughs> the people at home don't see it, but I do, because you know you would insist that was canon. Yeah, I, I think you made a solid argument that Gareth Jenkins has a better argument that his thing <laughs> is canon. But I don't think you've made an argument for it being a better story. Oh, I think it is a better story. It is a better fan service, and it is the better Doctor Who story. How is it a better story? I think, well, first of all, it is an actual story. I think what Tonight's Tonight is, is a single joke. It's a fun joke, it's a but skit. that's it. They're both skits. See, it's skit. It's not even a real story. There's no real drama to it. It's one joke. I, I don't agree with that, because you're, you're talking about a script that they wrote a, a half-assed story around this child <laughs> whereas tim ingham actually got to experience this real experience it, it, what are you talking about they're the same situation gareth jenkins doesn't even fucking remember it probably yes He's he too does. Young. they just met him in 2013 and talked about it that no. was did you remember the trivia section <laughs> 
just because it's a skit doesn't mean it doesn't have a story. And it had it has a beginning, a middle, and an end in it. Yeah, but it's I mean, a joke has a beginning, a middle, and an end. They're not nearly on the same level in terms of actual sophistication or complexity of the story. It's tonight's tonight is a gag. Okay. It's but one thing. Here's the issue with your argument: is that you are currently arguing not which one is better, but which one is Doctor Who. Well, no, it is better because it's better Doctor Who. I, I still, I still hold that tonight's the night is a better skit. I will agree; it is funnier. It does more with less time. I will say, if you're, you can again, that's going to be every single new Who anything versus any classic anything. Well, that's unfair to judge these two. They're both. I mean, this is a case where literally the classic actually got to do more. But no, I mean, that's just the, a, a case about the way pacing has changed in any kind of video medium over the years. I honestly think you got to throw pacing out the window in this discussion. You just brought it into the discussion. No, I'm just talking about just the amount of fun for it. Okay, well... Because pacing, you're talking about two short minisodes that ha both have one set. I don't know why I'm even making this argument, because mine clearly has the better pacing. Yes, but I'm saying that's affected by the era. And you said pacing shouldn't be in the discussion. That's why I just said. You're I don't know why I'm making this so argument. Yeah, I'm not trying to argue for pacing. I'm just trying to argue, I think, that at its heart, Tonight's Tonight has a better story. It's more fun. It's got a better performance from the actual fan involved. It's got a better interaction from the fan in that he's actually in there from the beginning to the end as opposed to the second half. Well, Gareth Jenkins, I actually I think you're wrong about that. Gareth Jenkins gets to do a lot more, gets to actually be the he hero probably of has, the story. He probably has more screen time. He's got more lines, more screen time, and he gets to defeat the enemies. He gets to be the hero of his own Doctor Who story. Yeah, but that's just because he's a kid. If Tim, okay, if we were looking at a universe where Tim Ingham had won both of these contests, so it was Tim Ingham versus Tim, Tim Ingham, uh. you know, they would write a different story. But you can say he's just a kid. Doesn't doesn't matter if you want to fob it off as him being just a kid. It's still the truth, and it still defeats your point. If you're saying that he's more substantial in the story, he's not more substantial in the story. If Gareth Jenkins is the one who actually resolves the conflict of a fix with Santarans, I mean, it, it's true that Tim is sort of a a side character where the really the two story goers are John and David Tennant. Yeah, overall, I would still say, and particularly because they decide to hide Tim's face in shame, <laughs> <laughs> it ends up feeling much more like it's about John Barrowman and David Tennant than it feels like it's about uh, Timming him. Maybe I would have liked a fix with Santarans more if they hid Gareth Jenkins' face. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be you just shitting on an eight-year-old as much as you possibly can. Yeah. <laughs> he's just a bad performer. He's not, he's, his heart isn't in it. <laughs> oh, that's you have no idea what he was going through. He was totally into it. It's just hard to be an eight-year-old and supposed to be on TV. Tell that to Lupita Nyong'o. <laughs> I don't know how old she is. She's got to be in her teens. I think you're thinking of the wrong actress. Am I? Yeah. I think you're coming across as very racist right now. Who's the one from... Beast of the Southern Wild? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's you're thinking of a different person. Oh, yeah. She starts with a Q. Yeah, it's like Kwanzaa or yeah. something. Lupita Nyong'o is an adult. Oh, she's the one from Star Wars. I don't remember, but she's she's a, she's a different black woman. Okay. So racist. Also points against you. Also points against Tonight's Tonight. <laughs> uh, okay. Tonight, Tonight's Tonight has zero alleged pedophiles. You know, I was afraid of that one coming up. <laughs> and I'm just going to go ahead and allege that everybody in Tonight's Tonight, that Tim Ingham is a pedophile. <laughs> 
and now he has been alleged to be a pedophile, and now your argument is defeated. <laughs> okay, for all the shit I've said about <laughs> Gareth Jenkins, it's not nearly as bad as what I you know, just said. I know, but you know what? It's getting to mudslinging. <laughs> this is what happens when the dilemma turns ugly. I hear that Colin Baker is a baby rapist. <laughs> I, I hear that David Tennant uses his fat, fat dick to smash babies' heads in. <laughs> Uh, Janet Fielding is a nice woman. She is. From Thanks. Points for me. Yeah. But not as nice as John Barrowman. <laughs> That's actually true. He seems like a really nice guy. Janet Fielding was just thrown in there. You know, they were just like, we need somebody. But to her credit, I mean, she did come and do it, even though she hadn't been on the show in like a year. Money. I don't think they paid you for this. <laughs> you think she got paid to come do this? Jimmy fixed her up. <laughs> Oh, he fixed her up. All right. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> I think the main point you have going for you is that yours is a, a funnier sort of fun ride. Right? Which it is. I also think the performers are better in Tonight's the Night. But I mean, there's only so much shitting on a little kid I can do. I said, and I don't even think that's right. I don't. I think you give way too much credit to Tim. I think he does a, a serviceable job, but he's buried in a, a costume. We can't see him, and he just yells repeatedly. But we get the sense that he's enjoying his time there, as opposed to being forced to. We get the sense that he's enjoying his time there because the video that you watch in order to watch this includes more behind-the-scenes footage of him talking about how much fun he had than on-screen footage of him in the skit. Yeah, that's true. Let me ask you this, though. Would you rather Ben Gareth Jenkins or Tim Ingham? Gareth Jenkins. Because it's canon? Because I could argue for that it's canon. <laughs> I don't know that it is, but I could I could argue that it is. It's true. Fixing with some tarns is more of a Doctor Who story. It's more of a Doctor Who story, and in, in being more of a Doctor Who story, it's a better Doctor Who story. I think if you were just going to be like, what's the funnier skit? then I would agree Tonight's the Night is better. Yeah, if we compare just the first half of Tonight's the Night, where it's just Sao Till, actually Sao Till, and Captain Jack like facing off, they don't really do that much. Yeah, it's just like, it's very by the book. Yeah. Sure. Whereas I think A Fix with Suntarans is much more approaching what an actual Doctor Who story should do. Okay. Fix with Suntarans. Better story. Coined again. Yeah. I got I got timmed by the coin. You got timmed, no lube. <laughs> yeah, lube up the coin. That's the trick. Oh, well, that would make it harder to catch. But you did, you did catch it this time. I did. So there's a victory on that level. Next time I'm going to do that thing where you like hold it and then you drop it into your elbow and you pop it up and then catch it. You know what I'm talking about? I know what you're talking about. I just don't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This week it's going to be a fix with Suntarns over tonight's the night. I guess tomorrow's the night. And that's the end of our dilemma, but the show's not over yet. We've got a bonus from Big Finish. This time it's not an audio story. It's actually a piece of prose entitled Child's Play. Written by L.M. Miles, this short story features the fourth doctor in Romana investigating a toy shop where doors come unlocked, floors creak, and strange voices seem to be coming from the shelves. So a little bit of background on this. This was published in a 2008 anthology entitled Short Trips, How the Doctor Changed My Life. And the entries were garnered from a competition held by Big Finish. And yeah, this is one of those one of those winners wrote this. And that's how this fan, Ella Miles, ended up uh, getting her work into the Doctor Who universe. With that in mind, we're jumping in. It's a it's a short story. It's just about four pages long, something like that. Yeah. So uh, what'd you think, Fenric? Uh, I do enjoy it. 
There are things about the writing that kind of put me off. I don't, I'm not a big fan of it keeps flip-flopping on on the perspective of the story where it goes from some segments are first person from this this narrator's point of view and then there's a bunch that are like third person omniscient. Yeah, I wanted to ask you that because that's the one thing I didn't like about the writing because in general I think the writing has a really comfortable easy smooth prose quality to it Mm -hmm. but yeah those the sort of time jumps and perspective shifts was the one thing i didn't like about the the way the story was structured and there there's nothing in the story that gives reason for that i i just i didn't understand it they're not necessarily put at the right moment where a very clear beat should be every time so you kind of just have an abrupt shift and you kind of have to reorient yourself yeah and i feel like you end up at least two or three times over the course of a short a quite short story in prose that otherwise I think is really competent and really engrosses you, you end up having to say, oh, hold on, I'm outside the story. Let me get back into it. So yeah, this this story, not so much of an antagonist, but sort of the sci-fi element are these creatures that are taking over toys inside this shop. At the beginning of the story, it opens on Romana interacting with this doll. And I had a really hard time telling if I was be- if I was being told something literally or metaphorically. Ah, uh, okay. So there's segments where she says, Romana's talking to it, like, what's a nice teddy bear doing like you in a dark, sweet shop like this? That could be a thing. I mean, it's not very Romana-y, but it's like, you know, you could be just talking to a doll. And then it says, the teddy bear tried to smile, though the threads of his mouth were tightly stitched. He removed his arm from the jar of peppermint creams and didn't look the least bit guilty about the chocolate smeared over his paw. I, I When I first read that, I took that as... The bear's not actually moving. It's just she's giving a fun description of what the bear looks like. Mm. So I was very confused for a little bit. The thing I couldn't tell actually was when chronologically does that scene take place? Yeah. Well, because of all that uh, time jumping, it's very strange. Because I think maybe that must be a scene that happens later that they're kind of quote unquote Tarantinoing it, you know, that we're seeing that and then we come back to that later because they walk into the shop later, uh, the doctor and Romana. It's Romana 2. Um, they come in and uh, investigate and then discover that the, the dolls are talking and stuff like that. So I, I don't think that happened actually in that order as it's presented. Well, but they do come in s- seemingly already investigating something. Yes. Yeah, so it's possible they had broken into the shop the night before and mm-hmm. that's when that was, but I'm not sure. Yeah, it's very confusing. What did you think? I didn't take it as being out of chronological order. I guess my, my first thought when I first read it was that they were actually at a different shop. And that maybe this was happening all over town or something. Well, I think it must have happened initially in one place next door because they they talk about the guy who ran, I I think it was a rug store or something like that. Yeah. But the guy at the shop next door who'd gone out of business going insane from all the creaking and whatnot. Right. And so these like aliens beings that were taking over little shapes had sort of gone from that store to this store. Of course, the twist in this is it turns out that these aliens are not malevolent in any way. They're just... They're just children acting out, which I thought was a really interesting twist. I wanted to ask. I think I think that twist is probably my favorite part of the story. Yeah. It's the most novel aspect of it, and it's something there's a lot of room for in science fiction because uh, it's so hard to get away from the human perspective sometimes. Right. And when you get really far away from humanity, there's this potential for infants infant creatures to have enormous power. And I love that there's, you know, there's no main battle about this. There's no the doctor shutting off their power. It's just the doctor scolding them. Yes. And them saying, we're sorry, we won't do it again. Yeah. Well, in general, I really liked the way that you wrote the fourth doctor. 
because I think a lot of people who write the fourth doctor, you can feel they're trying to create fourth doctor moments. I wrote the same exact thing. Oh yeah. And she never forces that. Yeah. And instead you have like really simple pieces of dialogue. Like uh, Ramana said the doctor carefully, I think someone's eavesdropping. The way that's phrased, that sounds exactly like something the fourth doctor would say. Yeah, you can picture Tom Baker delivering that line. Even in that era of the fourth doctor, that just sounds right to his voice. For me, uh, the moment that really sold her writing of that was at the very end, the narrator gives the fourth doctor a yo-yo. Oh, yeah. And we just get a nice description of him yo-yoing, doing a perfect walk the dog on the way out the door. Something I can definitely see Tom Baker doing. You know, this is written from, I think, a very popular perspective for prose fiction or any kind of Doctor Who short fiction, where you're mostly following the perspective of an outsider, and then the Doctor kind of enters their life. And that means we live this moment that you see it time and time again in that kind of fiction, where you see the Doctor from a distance, but it's through their eyes that they can't say, oh, it's the fifth Doctor. And so they have to say, it's blah, 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 blah. You see, it's some fat guy with a question mark sweater vest. Or, you know. <laughs> and the, the author here uh, describes him by his curls, which I thought was really nice. Yeah, I think that... Something not what you'd expect, like not the first thing you would leap to. Yeah, it's a, a man with a shock of chestnut curls. It's a really good description for Four. I think with, you know, Four, his smile and his hair are too... It's like, it's nice that it's like she didn't go for the scarf. Right, you know? yeah. I think if you go for the scarf, you've sort of gone too too far. But it's like, at the same time you know immediately that it's four. You don't exactly. run the risks. I've read some of those, or, or sometimes I heard it in short trips, so Big Finish's short trips, where I hear the description of the doctor, and I'm not 100% sure it's the doctor, and I'm kind of like, which doctor did they mean? Particularly the way some people describe five, where they just say it's like a blonde gentleman or something like that. And I'm like, so I think they mean it's five, but yeah. I have to kind of like wait another line or two to be sure. Uh, speaking of the narrator, which, uh, her name is Christy, what did you think of her character? So I thought, you know, towards the beginning in the first half she really comes across as sort of cynical and then there's this line when she's having a sort of emotional conversation with the doctor as they're talking about sorting out getting rid of these aliens and the strange voices and sounds that have been disturbing her she talked about how she used to love toy shops now they reminded her of christmas and she seems really vulnerable all of a sudden and uh, i was sort of surprised by that and i wanted to know do you think that's a sort of like artful level of nuance to her character or more like an inconsistency I honestly didn't get enough feeling from the character just from, you know, it's four pages. I didn't get enough to really nail down concretely who she is. So maybe that's why it didn't bother me because I hadn't really decided Mm -hmm. yet. Yeah, I think it's just towards the beginning, she's kind of like, she's kind of writing things off a lot and uh, seems put upon by her job. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? She didn't seem like somebody who would be really excited for Christmas or like love the toy shop. It was almost like a little mini arc. And I think I leaned towards the idea that, like, I liked that. That was, like, a nice touch. Yeah. I like that idea that it's something that she used to like. Yeah. And maybe now working here is kind of drained her of that. It creates very subtly, like, a little bit of stakes to getting rid of these aliens. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I thought really showed a good understanding of the show is I like the way that she wrote the fourth Doctor and Romana just talking openly in front of and over Christy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> About things that she couldn't possibly understand. Yeah, it's like if any doctor and companion pairing would just not give a shit about a human being there. <laughs> just completely out of her league. They were on a different level. <laughs> well, it's funny because you can tell from the doctor's perspective in this story, you know, the story itself is so small, right? It's just the doctor comes into a shop, 
the doctor comes back into the shop later. Yeah. From the doctor's perspective. So from their perspective, she's not even a character. She has one interaction, two interactions with them. So he doesn't even see her as, you know, he, she's not even potential companion. She's yeah. she's nothing. She's, she's barely an extra. Yeah. She's not even Tim Ingham. <laughs> and then in Tom Baker's eyes, she's even less. She's barely a person. <laughs> In actual Tom Baker's eyes, she is much less. <laughs> so you you talked about a little moment towards the beginning where you had a misunderstanding. Let me ask you a question. Have you heard of Sherbert Lemons before? No. But... Okay. So at the at the end, they talk about he reaches into a jar of Sherbert Lemons and puts one into his mouth and starts sucking on it. Mm-hmm. So I'm stupid. And I, <laughs> I forgot the context that they sell candy. And I literally, you know, he says he puts, puts one into his mouth and then puts one into Ramana's mouth. I'm reading this and I'm thinking he's put a, an entire lemon into his mouth and started sucking on it. And then Ramana starts talking and he put a whole lemon into her mouth. <laughs> so just like shut her up. Yeah. And I'm like, what happened to this fucking story? <laughs> yeah. No, I didn't, I didn't have any problems with that. I mean, I, don't, I definitely don't fault the writing for that. That was just me being dumb. But it was just like, <laughs> he's just shoving lemons into people's mouths. It was very surreal. <laughs> and then I, I stopped and I was like, I went and I looked and I was like, okay, that's probably a candy. And then I Googled it. And then I Googled, am I an idiot? And it said, yes. <laughs> Did you mean, should you kill yourself? Yes. I'm feeling lucky. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, one other question I had. Of the three stories discussed today, is this the most canon? Absolutely. It's got to be, right? 100%. By like a country mile. Yes. Yeah. There's no reason why this script that was published by Big Finish should not be considered canon. And so when do you think it takes place? If you just had to throw out a couple episodes where around, I'm going to say it takes place right next to Shada. <laughs> just like a weird black hole of yeah. <laughs> stories that happen between them. It's really hard to tell from the characters where it would have happened. It doesn't. It feels to me pre-JNT era, if you had to put it there. Yes. Right before JNT took over, when it was uh, Tom Baker and uh, Lala Ward uh, bouncing around. That makes sense. Now that we've discussed Child's Play, time for some trivia. L.M. Miles, a.k.a. Liz Miles, would go on to write the Big Finish audio short story Breaking Bubbles, featuring Colin Baker as the sixth Doctor. Yeah, and that's actually a main range release. It's a, it's a box, sort of a box set, where it's Breaking Bubbles and other stories, and there's three other one-parters, I believe. Yeah, and she's in a couple other pieces of short fiction for Doctor Who, so she's really uh, sort of expanded into the Doctor Who universe. Lucky her. I want to do that. Good work. Uh, Miles also contributed to the reference book Chicks Dig Time Lords, a celebration of Doctor Who by the women who love it. Miles is also now a celebrated Doctor Who podcaster, one of the primary contributors to the Verity podcast. So she's our competition. So we must destroy her. <laughs> because that's how podcasts work. Yeah, right? It's like the, the ring from Lord of the Rings. We have to return her from when she came? Wait, no. It's like the Highlander. <laughs> oh, okay. Those are very different things. There can only be one. Yeah. But there's also one to bind them. <laughs> oh, because you must have just gotten there because the one ring? Yeah, I totally fucked that up. <laughs> As we mentioned earlier, the story ends with the fourth Doctor receiving a yo-yo. While many incarnations of the Doctor have interacted or played with the yo-yo, the fourth Doctor is by far the most frequent, with his yo-yo making an appearance in The Ark in Space, The Android Invasion, The Brain of Morbius, and The Robots of Death. Wow, I didn't know it was that that prevalent. That motherfucker loves to yo-yo. Yeah. He'll walk the dog till it dies. (laughs) 
Well, that's going to do it for this week on The Twin Dilemma. This time, a fix when Santarans wins over tonight's the night. Both brave minisodes. <laughs> oh, so brave. So brave. Oh my gosh, groundbreaking. So many risks I guess taken. one is actually groundbreaking because it has uh, HD of the TARDIS in the first yeah. time. Yeah. Very brave. It was yeah. a risky decision. <laughs> yeah. The BBC heads were against it. I have been Venerable Mar. I'm Edward Grove. And we hope that you tune in next week for more critique of uh, real episodes next week. So we promise. You, you can look forward to that. <laughs> Stuff you'll actually have heard of next time. <laughs> we'll see you then. Bye, everybody. Bye. <laughs>